Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osha Ginsberg. This is episode 86 of this show with Ash London. You can follow her on Twitter at ASH underscore London. Thank you so much for being here. If you're new, please subscribe. You can subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcasting app of your choice. Um, you can also get on the mailing list at oshaginsberg.com. If you want to write to me, just write back to the mail out. I pretty much write back to everybody. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me the one thing I'd ask you to do this week is just tell them, mate, you know, if there's someone that you think is in your life that, you know, could do with something to listen to while they commute, that they might enjoy this show and what it's about, just pick up their phone, show them how to get a podcast on their phone and download a couple, perhaps make mine one of them. That's all I ask. Just share about this show. Hope your week was good. I hope you're feeling good and happy. You're doing everything you can and working to make sure that you're days are as good as they can be. I certainly hope that all is well with you. I had a, I had a big week this week and uh, I know there's some men and women listening that will relate. My girlfriend, of her own volition, of her own accord, without me pushing, asked if I could help her get a bicycle. That's right. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I was pretty excited. I tried not to squeal. I tried to keep it pretty cool. It's already great uh, to work out with her. I'm pretty lucky that um, my girlfriend's quite active. Um, she eats really well and she's quite active. And in fact, she took me to her gym and it's uh, something I've never really done before. Work out with, um, well, on a regular basis, work out alongside my girlfriend. It really, it was really great. Really, really great. Uh, so we, uh, we slid down to uh, the giant bike store in Clarence Street in Sydney there. 
and uh, we got Audrey fitted up with a new a new pushy. Starting her off easy, no cleats, just flat pedals and sneakers at first because you don't really want to be clicking in and clicking out when you just when you just kind of new on a road bike. She hasn't ridden a road bike before, but uh, she knows how to ride a bicycle, but not a road bike. So, um, but I won't lie to you, it's been a bit of a conspiracy between here between me and her triathlon mates. To be honest with you, for a few weeks now, me and her, she got friends of hers that ladies that are racing triathlons and um yeah we've been um plotting <laughs> so we'll see how it works out i think what finally got her over the line is i uh i started sending her photos of really excellent ladies cycling kit and she's like oh i could wear that <laughs> sorry and plus the other thing that is amazing about cycling that if you've never tried it i why i recommend not to get on a bike at the gym but to get on a bike out in the world is that cycling is one of those activities that not really much like jogging. Um, well, maybe like jogging. But if you put an hour into a solid cycling session, you'll get, you almost get more out than what you put in. You can burn so many calories on a bike doing hill sprints and things like that. Uh, you know, and it's so much easier on your body. Well, certainly now I'm old. So much easier on my knees and hips um, to get on a bike. Um, but yeah, you really get out what you put in on a bicycle. And plus, you get the wind in your face, freedom, travel, pretty good. I like it. Big week for Ireland. If you're listening to this in Ireland, I love you. Uh, Ireland, in case you haven't realized yet, Ireland voted yes in a public referendum to allow marriage between same-sex couples. So the first country in the world to have a public vote on this. People turned out in record numbers to overwhelmingly vote yes. Now, this is what happens when a public is allowed to make a decision, not a parliament. All right. Here in Australia, there's it's almost like this decision is not allowed to be given to the people. This decision is being taken by a bunch of elected officials who have enormous self-interest at heart um, and other doing the the work of lobby groups and other people that you know, let's face it, if you're a politician, you, you owe favors to people who helped you out. And that's pretty much how it is. I'm not, you know, talking with a tinfoil hat on. So to have a public referendum, to take this decision away from politicians and put it into the hands of the people that will live with it is wonderful. And this is what happens when a public is allowed to decide on something that affects the public. Um, I am absolutely thrilled. I Look, I, work, I went to an all-boys school and I work in television. I have gay friends, all right? But also, I am the very, very, very proud brother of a proud gay man. And I couldn't be happier that my brother potentially is going to live in a world that he has the same rights and access and, you know, freedom that I enjoy. Um, because right now he doesn't, and it's uh, it's not okay. As Liz Feldman, the American comedian, said, it's a great line. It's not gay marriage. It's marriage. I had lunch. I didn't have gay lunch. I parked my car. I didn't gay park it. It's a great line, man. It's a great line. If you're listening to this and you're a little like, hang on, I'm not okay with that. What about the children? Look, look I can promise you with all of my heart that two people of the same sex can fall in love. They can marry. And they can raise a child with love and care just as well as any straight person. I can promise you that. I've seen it with my own eyes. And, and it means nothing about your family. And it's going to be okay. All right? I promise you.
It's going to be okay. So on to my guest this week. My guest is a radio and television presenter in Australia. Her name is Ash London, at Ash underscore London. She's on Twitter and Instagram with that handle. She and I have known each other for a little while now, so I'm very, very happy to get her on the show. I've been following her career for quite a long time. Ash currently hosts the big pop music countdown show on the radio here in Australia. It's on 80 stations around the country. But Ash is part of the next generation of broadcasters where it's not just FM or just television. She's multi-platform from the moment she opens the mic. She's FM, she's online, she's everywhere, every night. She's a total pro. She works very, very hard and it shows. Now, we do talk about work, don't worry, but Ash and I get quite deep in this one quite quickly as Ash is not only very good at what she does, but she's also very sure about what makes her good. And so we talk in this show about, for her, God and what it means to have God in her life. Now, again, I understand that's not for everyone. That's okay. However, I think, I think it's very important to understand where everyone is coming from and to understand what they hold dear to them and why it's important to them. So we talk about that, and then we get quite deep on the Middle East. I've spoken before about my connection with Israel, my travels there, my impression of the place. Well, Ash talks about it from another perspective. Ash is the child of a refugee that fled Lebanon in the late 70s, or early 80s. Ash talks about what it was like in her house and how that house saw things. However you feel about it, however you feel about it is okay. Again, I think it's super important to consider and understand another's view of the world. It's super important. How are we going to live together if we don't understand why we're making decisions? Why that person might be acting that way? We've got to understand, consider their perspective. That's the important part. So I asked Ash to come to my place in Bronte. We had a cup of tea. We opened the mics. We started talking quickly, very quickly. We got onto God church, the new Pope, cover-ups, things done in the name of God, and I had forgotten to hit record. I had forgotten to hit record. First time in about a hundred shows, but I did it. So let's pick up from the very moment that I realized I hadn't hit go. What a motherfucker. Uh, no, the whole thing. Dude, the whole thing. Oh. Ken, oh. oh, that was awesome too. <laughs> That's a first, Ash. That's the first time I've... I've oh, maybe it's divine intervention. Maybe it's divine. Okay, so hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, Ash and I have just been talking for 10 that. minutes about God. God, deep, deep Deep, stuff. deep religion stuff. And um, <laughs> I've, I think this is the 90th time I've sat down and recorded with somebody, at least the 90s, maybe the 100th time. And that's the first time I've ever not recorded. Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about spirituality. We were. Um, so we're probably going to have to re. We can rehash. We're going to have to cool. go over some stuff. We both we both know how to go over the same lines. We can go over the same lines again. So believable. So, but the folks who are listening haven't had the benefit of being with our conversation for the last ten minutes. Oh my god! Um, but I was asking about what it is to live in Sydney. Yeah. And I remember when you first moved here. You've been here a while. I'll do a lot of this in the intro. You've been here, I thought it was six years, but you said it's three and a half. And you said that when you got here, it was important to you to find a church. Yeah. And I wanted to know why. And you started saying that you grew up in a Pentecostal. What happened yeah. from there? 
So grew up in a Pentecostal church with an incredible mother who uh, forced me to come to church for a lot of my life. And then as I got older, it was more of a choice. But that was my community. It was my friends. It was, you know, my life. I lost my dad when I was 16 and church was the place that, you know, I found solace and the friends that really supported me through that. So it was really important for me to go to church. And um, I had a genuine faith in God, of course, but it was when I was a bit older, about 21, that I moved to London. And for the first time in my life, no one was making me go to church. If I didn't go to church, if I didn't rock up on a Sunday, no one was going to know or really care. So it became, instead of we go to church as a family or I go to church because to my friends, I was, all right, do I want to go to church today? And some days I would go to church and some days I wouldn't go to church. What was that first Sunday you didn't go like? It was weird. What do you do on a Sunday morning? For 21 years, your Sunday, your whole Sunday in the end is taken up with church. And all of a sudden I was sometimes a bit hungover or I was too cold in the London winter. But um, in the end, it's a great way to meet people and find community. And I ended up at an Anglican church, which was different for me. But it was the first time in my life that I've ever sat, had sat in a church service and felt like, yeah, this actually this is working for me. You know, there isn't some secret part of me that's going, I don't really feel this or I don't really agree with that, you know. An incredible guy called Nicky Gumble who runs a huge church called Holy Trinity Brompton in London. And he he actually, interestingly, the first couple of months I was there, he did a sermon on the Israel and Palestine conflict. And it wasn't a sermon that was, this is a side we're taking. It was a sermon of we're Christians. As Christians, we need to understand what's going on in the world. So I'm going to give you both sides of the story and I'm going to encourage you to prayerfully go back and consider it and pray for this region of the world. Not taken aside, but you need to understand. You need to know. And that was the first time in my life a preacher had gotten up and actually encouraged people to think for themselves, you know, to actually know what's going on in the world and have an understanding of it, not just have an agenda shoved down their throat. And I loved the, tra- the tradition of Anglicism. I loved that it was a quieter kind of thing, it was in an old cathedral. It was really nice. And I think that was a really a real turning point for, point for my life where um, my relationship with God and how that outworked in my life and my decision to attend church became real and it became important. And when I moved to Sydney, it was the first thing I did was search out different churches and try to find somewhere that I really felt was going to work for me. I've never been to an Anglican church, but what, what you're saying, it's kind of less rock and roll bands and headset mics and more yes. let's just be quiet and yeah. have a think about what's going on. We still get the acoustic guitar out. Are you sure as hell better believe that thing is not going to be plugged into an app? Sometimes it is, but, um, yeah, a bit different, and I really liked it. I like reading a chunk of scripture, you know. Why not spend four or five minutes reading from the Bible as opposed to taking of one sentence and going from there. That always, I always found that kind of interesting when people go, and he walked. Now let's just talk about that. And (laughs) then an hour out of three words and it's basically we can just interpret this however we like. But because I'm standing in front of this plinth with a book in my hand and I'm saying, this is what he meant. Well, did he? It is all about context. (laughs) That's the one thing you have to do if you're going to read scripture. Well, who's writing it? What's his history or her history? You know, where mm. where is he coming from? What, what happened, happened when King James said, make this English? Exactly. You need, to, you need to. And as Christians, we're responsible for that. We're responsible for wrestling with our faith and going, okay, you know, 
what does this mean? Not saying this is what I want it to mean so I'm going to put my own spin on it, but mm. saying, all right, I can be a grown-up now and I need to contextualise this and I need to not put words in people's mouths because, you know, I want to actually understand what kind of a person Jesus was, you know. As a Christian, you're called to emulate him and I think we make him into someone that he wasn't and we use, you know, we use him and we use God as an excuse to do so much that I think God must sit in heaven and go, the hell are you doing? Like, not in my name. Sorry, buddy, but nope. Have you seen that uh, great Louis C.K. bit about um, right-wing Christians and environmentalism? No, but I love it already. He does this great because if you really, you know, love God that much, he created the world for you. What if he comes back? Why are the polar bears brown? <laughs> why? Why? What have you done? It's true. But I wanted to drive faster. For fuck's sake, the polar bears are brown. <laughs> I made this for you. Why you just throw shit everywhere? <laughs> That's so true. It's a great. It's a great bit. It's a great, great, great yeah, bit. Yeah. Have you have you ever been Have you ever been to Israel? No, I haven't. I had Lebanese stamps in my passport and a and a Lebanese surname, technically. So uh, it would be a little difficult, but um, I'm due for a new one soon. I will definitely go to Israel. Got would, it. Get, get yourself a second passport. To. It's not uncommon yeah. if you say, I want to travel here. And I, I would say this to you because the first time I went to Israel and, you know, you mentioned about your pastor talking uh, about both sides of the, um, the Israel-Palestine conflict. I feel it's super important to actually go somewhere and have a look with your own eyes. It's just you've got to see what's on the ground. There's one thing on paper. There's one thing that politicians and people who have vested interests say there's another thing to stand there at Ashkelon or stand there at the Gaza crossing and look and see that wall and look and see how close Ashkelon is and look and see the mortar holes in the ground and look and see the tanks and you've got to got to go be pretty so you go to the western wall the holiest site of all of Judaism the western wall because it's as close as they can get to the temple yeah. because on top of the Western Wall, we're in an apartment block in Bronte in, in Sydney. Now, I'm going to say the Western Wall is probably as tall as this building. That's it. That's wow. it. So at the bottom of the Western, that's the bottom of this building is where the Western Wall is, the holiest site in all of Judaism. The top of this Western Wall, where we sit, is uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Dome of the Rock, where they believe the Prophet Muhammad ascended to heaven. Mm. It's there. That's how close it is. Amazing. That's how close it is. So within 22 metres of each other is these two opposing, devout, super faithful people. Um, but to, if you go to the right of the Western Wall, if you go out and around and come up the right, there's the three former entrances to the temple. And as a good Jewish boy, Jesus would have gone there mm. on high holidays, yeah. all right, three, five times a year. And you can walk. I walked barefoot up these steps. I walked barefoot up these steps. Uh, to the, They've walled up the, the doorways. But that's the temple. Mm. Of that they speak in the book. That's, That's it. It's so crazy. It's there. It's actually physical. Yeah, it's there. And you stand there and you walk up. I, I took my shoes off because I wanted to feel with yeah. my own feet what it was to walk up these steps. And he would have gone there. That mm. many, every time there was a high holiday, he would have gone up there. That's a temple where he took the whip and said, not here in my, ha- my yeah. dad's house. It was right there. Now, here's the thing. We went on December the, what was before New Year's Eve, 28th? Winter. It snows in Jerusalem, right? It's 4,000 feet above the sea level. We went in winter and the sun had come out from behind the clouds for about 10 minutes at about 11 o'clock that morning. We were there at sunset. I was wearing a T-shirt, a beanie, you know, hoodie, you name it. 
I put my hand on the wall and the wall was warm. Now, I'm not even making this shit up, all right? And there's something to be said about this. Believe what you like, Mm -hmm. but the, you know, some of the holiest places, the the, the three monotheistic religions are within 500 metres of each other in the old city of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. There's so much concentrated spiritual energy there. It would have to be. You can't not. You can go there with a sceptic's heart and that's totally fine, but just to observe the amount of people that are so invested in this meaning of what this place is, for example, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where they believe that the, it's a church they built around, Helen of Constantine said that's where it is, and they built a church around what they believe was the crucifixion site. There's people, there's pilgrims from all over the world travel there. You can't not be affected standing in that space. Yeah. It's you know, it's like when Prince plays Purple Rain times a million, mm. the goosebumps. Yeah. Like it, and it's you got to go. It, it, it's amazing that it is so far away yet so close to my heart that I can for 28 years live my life so closely centred around a guy on the other side of the world and he's so real to me yet, you know, to actually be there would be incredible. To go there is it's an entirely different vibe when you go there and you go and, you know, it was my ex-wife is her hometown. She said, oh, no, that's, that's the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee? <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's right there. Mm. Oh. We've you, got the Sydney Opera House. That's pretty you good go too. To Nazareth. <laughs> you go to Nazareth. Wow. Like, you mean the Nazareth as in of Nazareth? <laughs> yeah. Let's go to Nazareth. Go, Nazareth was the only place that I saw Christmas decorations in Israel. Really? Yeah, from the Lebanese Christians up there. And my people. Yeah. I've been to Lebanon. That was pretty great with my peeps. What year was that? Did you go? 2000, 15 years ago. So we spent. Was there the, was there stuff going on there? Was there, part of was. Yeah, well, we went for, was there for New Year's Eve. So mm-hmm. like the millennium. Um, first time there, first time seeing my dad's old village, which was hard for my dad to see because, you know, there were, there were refugees living in his childhood home. It was tough, you know, and the, the village was nothing like he remembered it. He left when he was 16 and never went back until he was in his 50s. So it was a full-on trip. but um, And my brother and cousin ditched me and went to Spain because I was young and I had to spend uh, New Year's Eve in Beirut with all our old relatives by myself. And I've never forgiven him. <laughs> what a dirty you? dog. Well, it was 2000, I would have been 14 and my all brother right. would have been 24. And they were like, yeah, we've decided that we want to go to Barcelona for New Year's Eve. So you could just stay here with mum and dad. I'm like, well, I guess I am. Fair enough. Yeah. Is it a beautiful city, Beirut? I heard it's it beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's amazing you can you can ski and swim on the same day. Mm. It's, it's so it, we have so much space in Australia. Yeah. Until you go somewhere like that, you never. It's it's tiny country yet there is just so much. It's a huge intersection of cultures and and religions and languages and it's so much crammed into such a small space. Like you're driving through the mountains and looking at these huge cedar trees, and a now lady is sitting by the the sea, you know, eating hummus. It's just like. But I want to go back. You know what? You just mentioned what the one word that absolutely is the worst thing the Middle East ever could have done for me. Once you've eaten hummus in the Middle East, forget it. But you know what? I'll let you in on a little secret and my daddy's going to roll over in his grave when he hears this. Aldi, do a good one. Pre-packaged and every time I buy it, I think, oh, man, like, oh, like my Yeah, but is it warm know. out of the pot? No. Is it, yeah. You've nailed it. It's got to be warm. It's got to be warm See, my mum cooks the, the chickpeas and then rinse it and it's still warm. 
And yeah. most people, unless they've had it from the kitchen, they get it cold. Once you've had it warm out of the pot oh, with a, got, a few chunks of chickpea in yeah, there. Yeah, and then some. I like it with lots of garlic. Like it oh, has too. to kind of burn my throat a bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you've nailed it. Absolutely, absolutely. That's and then you mentioned a good. You know, I remember taking some people around Israel, and we stood um, top of Mount Hebron, yeah. which is right on the border of Israel and Lebanon, and we stood at the top of this mountain, and our guide. It was ex, you know, commando, they all are. Hmm. He goes, I'll oh, see that over there. He said, yeah. He said, that's, um, that's the Syrian border, all right? And Damascus is, you know, however far that way. See that over there? So, yeah, that's, that's Lebanon. It's like you can see it. It's right there. And see that? That's Jordan. You can see these three countries from this one spot. It's the same. Like if you were in Brisbane, it would be the same as standing at Kangaroo Point and looking east to Belimba mm. and going that's if you're you know if you're Israel of like that's a country yeah. that has invaded us yeah or if you're Syria you're looking back going that's a country that we don't believe should be there yeah like it's it's and not we all teach our children to hate those guys it's not, it's, and it's, it's ingrained not, yeah, it's not this far away because no Australia I don't know if Australians until I went there I had no concept of what it was to have have a land border with somebody. I just yeah. didn't. I had no idea. I'd never grown up with it. But once you've seen, oh, yeah, it's over, like from where we are, like Tamarema over there. It's like <laughs> I've stood at the kibbutz that's right on the border yeah. and it's across a valley and you can see the village. You can see the first Lebanese village on the other side of the valley. Mm. It's 300 metres away. It's unbelievable. It, and, you know, and for, for, for uh, until you've seen that, until you've seen the dense, denseness of that area, I feel and talked to the people, talked mm. to the people from every side. It's only then I feel you can actually have a, you know, an idea about what's going on yeah. in that neck of the woods because it's street by street. It's not a line on a map somewhere. Yeah. It's street by street. When you're second generation and we grew up in Australia and, I'm, and my dad's generation, that the hatred and the inside of them, and they, it's, it, it's strange that as a child, somewhere I'd never been, a people I'd never met, but you're almost taught to hate them. The Israelis. You know? Yeah. Well, right, yeah, know, of course. You, you, don't know, you don't know why. When I was a kid, I'll never forget as a child, we were, um, you know, <laughs> the Christmas carol, born is the king of Israel. Mm-hmm. And my cousins were saying, born is the king of occupied Palestine. <laughs> because the word Israel was not, my, was not uttered in our home. Such was the level of hatred in another generation, a land we'd never seen, a home country I'd never been to. And it wasn't until I was older that, you know, I actually had to go, okay, well, what's the story? You know, and my mum, her best friend was Jewish growing up, you know, this lovely woman that she went to church with. And it was this weird, like, are we allowed to like her? You know, now that I'm nearly 30, I have a, you know, I'm old enough to kind of draw my own conclusions, which I won't go into, but... It, it was it was hard for me to separate myself from what you're taught to hate and taught to, you know, and what in your heart. And that's a big journey for me over the past six months is this journey for me towards authenticity and what do I believe? Who am I? What do I want to represent? Especially working in media, what is the heart in me that I want to be showing to other people, you know, and for so long... We become a a product of these things, a product of what we're taught to believe growing up, who we're taught to hate growing up, what we're told we're good at growing up, what we think we excel at. 
what people have told us they like about us so we keep doing and now it's just weird I'm, I'm nearly 30 and I'm like well actually what what do I really believe who do I actually you know want to be and that's affected my relationships it's affected my work it's affected my career goals it's really weird you know because we become something that I think we're not you know it's not until we can stand apart from that because we'll never really feel like we truly belong and we're truly loved if we're not ourselves and that's been huge for me you know even if you know it's going to piss off my parents even if it's going to make people go but I thought that is that why people stick to it do you think because it's it, it along with those beliefs comes a connection to their family maybe maybe yeah I don't know I mean it, I think it's a lot easier to just kind of go along with your idea of who you are or who you're supposed to be rather than actually go, okay, well, this is going to be hard, but I'm going to look at the experiences in my life and how they've affected me and what mindsets I've taken on and really dig down and ask myself whether that's something I believe. It's easy to just go along with your idea of who you think you are. For me, it wasn't until I, like, it's just strange, it wasn't until I actually fell in love that I was forced to stand back and go, okay, well, I'm never really going to feel truly loved and um, and appreciated and valued by this man that I love unless I can actually be my true self. And it's scary to go, okay, well, for three years I've been this, but I actually feel like I'm going to feel more loved and valued if I'm authentic. So 2015 authenticity has been this weird theme in my life where I've stopped in certain situations and gone okay normally I would react this way but in my heart how do I really feel about this issue or how do I really want to react and do I have the guts to follow through with that you know and some people might not dig it and some people might go ah you know and that's okay but we have to be ourselves we have to or I'll be 50 and be like ah shit you know I don't even know what I believe I don't even know you know, what I want to do. That would suck. It's pretty scary, though, to question these things that have been your operating system for your whole yeah, life. Yeah, my whole life I've been taught that I'm an extrovert. You know, Asha, she's the crazy talkative one. As I kind of get older and, you know, you change. You can change from introversion towards extroversion, but I'm realising I'm not really as extroverted as I always thought I was. I don't really enjoy going into a party and being the centre of attention. I think I've just done that because I can and, because that's what people always said they love about me. But I would much prefer to get a glass of wine and sit with this person and just have a chat for an hour and maybe not talk to everyone and maybe some people won't even know I'm here. And that's okay and that's awesome. Talking my language, London. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until actually I went to this school in Amsterdam and they we did the Myers-Briggs test. Mm. I'd never done that before. And we did the Myers-Briggs test and I turn up and I, we sat, stood in a circle between most extroverted to most introverted I was three from the end, introverted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. That, that totally makes sense. And people were kind of a bit shocked. And I, and I said, but everything else was the coping mechanism. Yeah. Everything else. Oh, everyone just got home. How was your exam? Darling. You did great. How was the ballet exam? She, she did great. Good, okay. darling. Great. Well, that's good. Do your thing. It's fine. I can edit. I have this ability. You can just cut and then cut things out, and then people so never know. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. We did our first ten minutes, and old mate wasn't pressing record. Awesome. 
Yeah. It's all right. It was about really heavy God stuff. You know what? It's good. I told Ash that. It's probably the hundredth time. I've probably hundred on the nose that I've done this. Thank you very much. And um, it's the first time. Cool I car, forgot Audrey. To... <laughs> Yay. I love that film. That's from it's Disney, so right? It's so good. Can we get that song? Universal. We got that from Universal Studios. I love Despicable Me. Welcome to New York. It's co- we were so close to each other until I moved to yeah, Bra. It's cool. Love it. My Sunny Kitchen. So good, man. That's good. Really great. You're Busy missed it. You're and. Missed it, Am I? Yeah. That's you nice. Miss That's good. I haven't even watched the show since I left. Oh, we'll talk all about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I won't make you repeat yourself. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I guess. Yeah, just back to what it was that we grew up. I mean, I certainly knew that growing up, I, I think the first the thing that I would admit to, and, you know, it's difficult to talk about, but I have to because it, it happened. Mm. I grew up in Queensland and then I went to a white middle-class public school and I remember the funniest jokes that I learned were all Aboriginal jokes. Yeah. I'm five mm. or six coming home telling my mum this because I could remember jokes really well. Mm. Telling my mum like 200, maybe 25, 25 jokes in a row. Just yes. the most paint peeling racist stuff. Makes it sick to think back on it. I'm you sure. can think about, but I'm six mm. or seven. All right. And then I'd make the other bloody Bevan kids in my suburb laugh telling these jokes. I'm a little kid. And it wasn't until, it really wasn't until, goodness, into my teens that I went, well, hang on a second. Yeah. That's, that's actually not okay. And thank goodness I did. But I just didn't, I just didn't know any better. Yeah. And it was just kind of accepted by everyone around me that that was okay. Mm. Um, and I look at it now and I'm, you know, I'm grateful that I questioned it. But, yeah. but some people never do. Yeah. And they grow into 30, 40, 50 year olds and they get jobs on TV and radio and then it just perpetuates that it's okay because it, you know, I think controversial statement, but it's easy to think that majority of the people in our country uh, think the way we do about the world and can separate right from wrong. But I think a lot of people aren't given that opportunity. And if we perpetuate those ideals in, in the media, so if their mates are saying, well, that's funny, and they're turning the radio or the TV on and people are saying, well, that's funny, well, that's funny. And that's the way we do it. That's that's Australia. Well, the thing is, is that it's going to change. And I see it happening. I see, you see it happening in America and the white um, kind of middle class, heavily armed, mm. right wing fundamental Christian yeah. side, sure don't like it. Yeah, Do I've, not been like to, it. I've been to churches in America that you wouldn't call right wing and some of the venom that's spewed from those pulpits, I just think we are stuffed if this is what we are feeding mass America because most Americans go to church, they'll, you know, cheat on their wives and they go to church. It's cool, man. I, I go to church on Sunday. But, you know, they're medicating their wives. You know, I have a, a mate that's a pastor over in um in america they're australians and i am all for treating mental health issues with prescription as you would any other sickness of course i grew up with a 
you know, that in my house, I saw it face to face. I know the reality. But you turn on the TV there and an ad comes on. It looks like a tampon commercial. It's a girl. She's running through the fields and she looks so happy. And it's an antidepressant commercial. Ask your GP. Not feeling happy? Ask your GP. So the GPs are just handing out these to everyone, getting pharmaceutical kickbacks. This pastor actually said to my um to my friend who's another pastor, he said, the best thing, what did he say? Um, the best thing I ever did was put my wife on Prozac. Hmm. Put? Put. My wife. Like I Prozac. have decided that, you know, you, you're not your chirpy self, so it's probably best that, like, I worry, man. I worry. And then the, the ministers and the pastors that come up and kind of put their hands up and go, what about this? Oh, heathen. And they arm themselves against these one guys and they and they're like totally written off you know we're all allowed to believe different things but but let us believe different things let us challenge the way it's done we can't oh it stressed me out so much nashville was an incredible city to visit huge churches everywhere but churches used as an excuse to kind of do whatever they want with their weeks and treat people the way they want to and you know, run their businesses the way they want to. And, but I go to church on a Sunday, so I'm a, I'm a God-fearing man. It's cool. But no, mate, I'm of the view that God holds you at a higher standard. If you're going to go around telling people that, you know, you're following the way of Jesus, well, be prepared <laughs> for God to go, all right, well, let's see how well you did that, you know? <laughs> when you talked about finding authenticity before, yes. where, does, where does your faith help you find that path it's a great question i think for me holding on to the idea of truth the one thing i know in the world that is true is hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There is a God in heaven who loves me and knows me and wants me to love him and know him intimately. That's my truth. So when it comes to situations where I need to find my truth, I anchor onto that. You know, some call it a meditation, whatever it is, but I can close my eyes wherever I am and I find that truth and I anchor that truth and I say to that truth, all right, what is true in this situation and what is my own experiences? What is my own letdowns? What is my, you know, what is all that that's kind of crowding everything else? Who was I actually created to be, you know? And I believe that we're all created with a purpose. We're all put on earth to do something wonderful. So for me, when I... um make career decisions, when I make life decisions, it's not 
you know, it's not logical. All right, well, is this going to help me get to where I want to go? Whatever. It's okay, I'm going to anchor it into that truth. Does this resonate within my spirit? Does this serve, you know, my purpose on earth? You know, and I, and I bring things to God in my prayer and I believe that, you know, I can get a sense of, yeah, I feel good about this. And you trust your gut, you know. I believe, I'm a big believer in 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 your gut. And it's interesting, I was telling my mum about it this week and my mum is like my own personal Dr. Phil slash Oprah. And she's talking about how our gut feelings aren't just this like super spiritual weird thing, but it's our subconscious memory that can hold millions and millions of pieces of information and experiences and memories. So in our logical brain, we hold on to probably 20 pieces of information, but in our subconscious, this wealth of information. So when we have a gut feeling, it's not this weird you know, thing that you can choose to ignore. It's our subconscious going, okay, I've been in this situation when I was four years old, when I was eight years old, when I was 12, when I was 15. This is what happened. This is all the data. This is a good thing to do. This is a bad thing to do. So I'm learning to trust my gut, learning to anchor onto truth, learning to shut out this whole notion of other people's perception. You know, so often we make situations based on what other people are going to think or how this is going to help us to be perceived in the world. But shutting that off as a creative, as I'm sure you understand, we need approval, we need attention, we need validation from people to go, we love your work, we love what you're doing, you're amazing. But to shut that off and go, okay, separate from that, is this going to really satisfy me? Does this serve my purpose? If not, I'm not going to waste my time doing it. And maybe I will do it. Maybe it won't immediately, you know, put dollars in the bank or make me look cool on Twitter. But is it going to satisfy that deep part of me? Yeah, it is. So I'm going to do it. Faith has been a huge part in that. What about people? Because I, I remember for a long time after my experience with uh, going to private school, going to a, you know, a school that was very much, you know, you're going to go to hell if you masturbate, that kind of thing. Yeah. I kind of was like, okay, I don't want any part of it. Of course. Didn't want a part of it. And then when I heard people talk like you've been talking this last half hour, I kind of, I kind of reacted against that. What would you say to people who might be listening and might be listening to you with some judgment about your experience and, and mm. you know, basically might be a little frightened as to how much you weigh upon this? Yeah. It's understandable if, if you've never had an experience of God or of whatever is out there. Of course it's, of course, we go off our own experiences. I would never expect someone who, you know, has never really sought God or, or thought that that is a, a, a possible reality for life to look at the way I live my life and go, cool, they're going to look at that and go, that's weird, like, sorry, but you're lying to yourself. Of course I get that. My advice, you know, to you would be seek God for yourself. Like, you know, that if you want, if you want to, if you don't want to, fine, but I'm not hurting anybody. I believe that it is making me a better person. I think it's helping us change the way we view Christians because for so long, Christians have given us a bad name. We've done things in the name of God that have broken God's heart and, and broken people's hearts here on earth. So I'm happy to, you know, to, to stir it up a bit. But I get that someone could look at that and go, yeah, you're entrusting your life to something that doesn't exist. But I can only go off my own experiences and what right. I know is real. And if that ever stops being real, maybe I'll change my view. But I don't think that's a possibility, you know. Right. But for me now in this in this moment, that's 
that's real to me and it hasn't failed me yet. You know, enough things have happened in my life for me to have gone off the rails and had enough of an excuse to go, you know what, stuff you, stuff you life, stuff you God, I don't want to borrow this. I have a permanent excuse to do nothing with my life. But instead I've gone, nope, you know, I believe I'm here for a reason and I'm going to chase that and I'm going to be relentless about that. So, yeah. I, 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 did, I did come around eventually. Mm-hmm. I came around, well, I kind of had to. Um, I came around to the concept of a, of a higher power. Mm-hmm. I came around to the concept of a God of my understanding, just basically something bigger than me. Yeah. That's basically it. Um, the idea that I'm not the centre of the universe, that so there's something true. much larger than me at play here, and that's all I really needed. Yeah. I just needed that humility in that. That's what it is. I'm it's, actually not in charge. It's humbling. I can do my bit, but then I have to let the rest go. Yeah. And that's, you know. Especially that, for high achievers who for your whole life, I would imagine you'd be pretty good at, you know, to a point making life perfect and, and achieving all that you want to achieve. Taking credit for it. And exactly. You think, <laughs> fine, I'm, I'm great. I can do whatever I want. Uh, it was such a load off for me to get to a point where I was like, you know what? I can't do it. You know, I'm not the be all and end all. Life is not about how many Twitter followers I can get. Life is not about how jealous I can make my high school friends. That's bullshit and it will never leave me satisfied. There is something so much bigger at play here and it's not me. That was great for me. It was humbling for me and I needed it. I needed humbling. I needed it. <laughs> and I feel uh, my prayer a couple of years ago is that I would be humbled. I remember one of my friends said to me, be careful praying that. And my God was I humbled big time. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you think you're, you're good at makes you who you are when it's on the line and you have to go, all right, shit, who am I without all that? If I stand before whatever God is out there, Without my work, without my perception, without my body, without my clothes, without my money, what what's left? What's what's there? You know that was, whoo, that was huge for me, and it really kind of put me on a pretty different path. My guy, he, uh, my mentor, likes to say, "Find humility, or humility will find you." Oh God, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a good one, right? Yeah. So, what role did all this play? Cause I I remember like. I I knew that you worked at MCM, which is the radio company that I used to work for yeah. when I did Take 40 Australia and then Hot Hits. I knew you worked there. I'd had some contact with you. But what role did this play in you going, you know what, that Channel 10 gig, I want yeah. that Channel 10 gig? Well, actually, it was my last night in London before I moved back to Australia. I would have been about 22 or 23 and I thought, all right, I know that I want to work in media, so... I'm going to take any job at any media company and I'm just going to work my ass off and get the job that I want eventually. So um, I'd done work experience for MCM in year 10, did Vox Pops and wrote album reviews. I knew they existed and I went on to seek.com.au from London. I said, oh, they need a junior copywriter. I was like, writing, I write, you know, I've got a degree, a media degree. So I applied for the job. The night before I left, I landed in Australia and I had an interview. I said, okay, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to get this job. And then eventually I'm going to be, you know, out of the, the sales side of it. I'm not going to be writing radio ads, but I'm going to be doing the interviews. That's my goal. So I went in there, got the gig, and I wrote condom commercials and telco commercials for, you know, a year and a half before I got the call up to move over into the content side of things. 
So I, I was, it was an incredible way to get into the industry because it meant I could do the artist interviews and then they would cut me out of them. So I'd get to spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes with Usher and then do my thing and embarrass myself and make a couple of mistakes and it wouldn't really matter because they were just cutting Usher's answers. Uh, uh, Usher, it's hard to say Usher when I've got Usher in front of me. Usher's answers out and putting it in someone else's interview. So it was awesome. You know, I learned to be comfortable in that space and then after a couple of years, the heart, you know, the heart was being pulled to something more and I saw this, you know, an ad for a music host. And I emailed you before I told anyone else about it. I, you know, I'd emailed you like two or three times for work purposes. I took a bit of a risk. I was like, I'm freaking going to do it. I'm just going to email you. And I was like, hey, and you're in LA. And I thought, I really think that this would be something I could do. What do you reckon? And you said, go for it. And you helped me out with my audition tape and sent it off. And then over the next couple of months, it sounds so lame to say that the stars aligned, but the stars aligned, you know. I met a guy in Sydney it, that I worked with in the same company. He was in the Sydney office and I was in the Melbourne office. And in the same week, I, um, you know, kind of met this guy, got this job and all signs were pointing to Sydney. So I came up and worked two days a week for Channel 10, spending half my wage on my rent to live in Bondi for the first year, as so many of us do when we moved to Sydney. But um, it was well and truly the path I was supposed to take. It was a really great, you know, starting point. And you felt it was in alignment with what you decided that night in London? Absolutely. You know, it's weird. Like you, you always kind of dream of a one day. I knew I could do it. I knew I could be on TV, but whether or not it was going to happen, I thought, oh, we'll see. You know, I thought I chose the writing side because, like, you know, maybe I'll write films or I, I know I can write. Maybe that would kind of satisfy it. But I tell you, there's no better feeling than being able to, I don't know, just be me but get paid to do it, you know, talk. Like one of my few talents in life is just talking, you know. I love to talk and they're going to pay me to talk about my favourite thing in the world, music, what? And it was great. I got so lucky. I had the best co-hosts on earth, Scott Tweedy, who is a beautiful soul who I learnt so much from about how to treat people. I reckon I've got probably about five years left of being a viable option as a TV host (laughs) and then everything's going to be Tweedy. He's a beautiful The guy's you know going to take over television. And he deserves to. He's such a lovely bloke and very good at what he does. Yeah. I've never, yeah. and I mean this, I, I've known the guy for three years. He does not speak ill of anybody. He will not do it. He just won't. It's not in his character. I'll sit there getting frustrated and angry. He'll just smile and nod along and go, yeah, London, cool. Like, you're allowed. And he's handsome. And he's so and good looking. built. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, smells I get good. by so many um, gay guys in Newtown who do not give a crap about me. They just want to know, he's not gay, is he? I'm like, I'm so sorry. He's got a beautiful girlfriend. Like, oh, it's so unfair. I'm like, I know. And you know what else? Like, well, I'm like, he's lovely. And they're like, oh. The loveliest. Yeah, he's going to take over television. He's no true. shadow of a doubt. He's, a, he's just a beautiful human. He works. He works so hard. I'm lazy. Oh, I'm lazy. I'm learning not to be lazy. He will just. Chase it. Yeah. He's great. And I he will. He, he absolutely will. He'll take it over. Yeah. And I'm going to have to Hope he remembers me. I'm going to have to find <laughs> another job. I'm going to have to find another job because it's all, it's, it's going to be his. But thankfully there's more pie than there is pie charts. There, so it's exactly right. I could only, I'm looking, for, I want to be his champion. I really do. <laughs> oh, so please. you've got this dream job. You did this dream job for three years. Yeah. I know what it's like, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. What's it like to wake up one day and realise I can't do my dream job anymore. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to have to stop doing my dream job for my own good. Yeah, it was um, humbling all over again. 
it was. It was my safety. It was what I'd been doing for three years and I loved it. I was, you know, by all, by all you know, accounts, it was a great job and so many people were like, what the hell are you doing? Like, come on, it's it's not, just keep, there's still, what do you mean? You know, it's only three years, but when you know, you know. And I couldn't, I couldn't fight that niggling part of me that was like, all right, Ash, it's time to to move on. You, I, the, the feeling I got was I was being called onwards and that was my mantra for that, called onwards, called onwards. It wasn't just giving up. It wasn't just saying I'm too tired. It wasn't just saying I'm done with this. It was, no, I'm actually being called onwards and it's there's meaning in that and there's hope in that. But it was a decision that really required me to know myself and know my own heart because, I, I yeah, and as soon as I said it out loud, I think I, my boyfriend was the first person I told. I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I'm just, I'm really exhausted and I don't feel like, I don't feel at home here anymore. You know, when you're doing something and you know it's not what you're meant to be doing, so you feel like a visitor. I felt like I was a visitor on set, which was weird. And, you know, I'm never going to do something for the money. I'm never going to do something because I need to pay my rent. Like, that's just not how I roll. You know, I've earned a lot of money in my time and I've learned no money and the happiness factor doesn't change. You just spend more money or spend less money. So it was, um, it was, it was, it was tough. And I, you know, told my manager and of course your manager doesn't ever want you to quit doing a job when they still, you know, when you can keep doing it. And they're getting a percentage. And they're getting, you know, a percentage, of course. <laughs> it was, it was a wrestle. Yeah. You know, it took me a couple of hours to get her on board. But in the end she was like, all right, Ash, I've played devil's advocate. I've, you know, I've disagreed with you. I've given you the alternate options, but if this is what you want to do, I'll support you. And that's what I needed. And it, it's been a couple of months and there's still been times that I'm like, crap, have I made the right decision? But I know I've made the right decision, you know. More opportunities will come and more opportunities already have come. But The Loop was an incredible opportunity to launch me into a great career. And I'm still, I'm 10% of the way there, but, you know, and it's someone else's turn now. You know, who knows who I was stopping from starting their career by being too stubborn to move on, you know. So I look forward to seeing who else comes along and, you know, I'll be the first person. Like, this is interesting that, like, the first person that I got an email from to really congratulate me when I got the loop gig was um, Faustina, who did video hits for so long. And I guess you could say that our show replaced video hits. She was the first person. She read an article I did and sent me the most beautiful email, you know, encouraging me. And since then, we've been good friends. She's always been the person that if I'm struggling with something, she's been in LA, I shot her an email and she'll always shoot the wisdom straight back. There was never a competitiveness. There was never, this is how I did it. There was a I get it, sister, like how can I help you? How can I support you? So I will sure as heck be passing that on to whoever, you know, takes the mantle on. Have you watched the show since? A little bit. I just, Scott needs a buddy, you know. It's great for him. It's a great experience for him. But it, it, is, it is weird to watch it. Yeah. But um, I didn't watch music television for yeah. a year when I left Channel V. <laughs> for a year I didn't watch music television. I couldn't bring myself to watch yeah. one music video. It's just it too painful. It's too painful. Yeah. I watched, I think I watched it last week for the first time. Just put it on. My boyfriend came out of the shower. I was like, you're right, Dalva. Like, yep. Just, yep. It just felt weird. But, you know, I could never look at Tweety and not be filled with happiness. He's just, he's a beautiful human. I wish he was an asshole. So, no. leave, you know, he's you know just what's the great? Best. What, what's great though is this I think I, I feel the time of the, the the asshole media person 
but you just can't. Now you're exposed now. to the public at every facet. Yeah. You can't just turn it on for the mic and then be a totally. be a horrible human being when the mic's off. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. Now you're exposed through Twitter, through Instagram, and as you know, when you're on radio, you're on the web, you're being filmed every oh, day. Yeah. You can't hide that anymore no from anyone. And there aren't enough jobs anymore for people to to treat no. people like crap. That's no. one thing you said to me when I started. You were like, treat everybody the way you want to be treated, from the person that is doing your makeup to the crew to the head of the network because you want to get your crew on side because they talk. Everyone talks and you do not want to get a reputation that you cannot undo. Did I tell you that? Yeah. I told you that from experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, taken me, it's taken me 10 years to... Yeah, I had a, a few rough years there. And uh, well, yeah. yeah, there's a few people that I meet now. I'm like, yeah, well, look, I don't drink anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but now you're doing this and, you know, you, you're. this is the most exciting time broadcasting's ever seen. It really is. It's scary. We're sitting it's in a changing. kitchen in my house in Bronte. We're talking on broadcast quality microphones with 500 bucks worth of gear and essentially we've, outputting the same audio quality that used to only be accessible to yeah. a multi-million dollar um, broadcasting uh, setup. And now you are working on the national radio every night, what, 80 stations? Yeah. yeah. 85 stations around Australia. You are not only doing pop music on the radio, it's the Shazam countdown, mm-hmm. which is the audio listening tagging app. So you're already integrated there. I'm sure you're on Twitter all night. Yeah. You're on Instagram all night. You're probably periscoping and meerkatting all yeah. night. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. But you just you're in this completely immersed yeah. thing that I mean radio's always been in front of television, always has been, because it's far more nimble. Mm. You're doing a kind of broadcasting that didn't exist when you started. Yeah. Didn't exist. It wasn't even conceived when I started. Yeah. It's not just an FM signal that you're putting out. It's freaking 10 different yeah. channels. And the onus is upon us now as a talent. You can create your own content. You know, I have no excuse. If no, if no TV network in the next year says, yeah, I just want to give you a contract, I have no excuse to not have my own content out there. What is it just? that I'm too lazy, like it's it's exciting but it's also the pressure's on, you know. If I've got something to say now and I know I'm talented, well, I have no excuse to not be getting my message out there and creating the kind of content I want to create because I have a laptop, I have an internet connection, so what am I going to do with it, you know. So it is exciting but it has taught me, yeah, more than ever, everything in you is exposed, you know, and, it's, and you're right, it's quick and it's immediate and radio is very nimble. I said, I got dumped. I had my first dump last night on air. I dropped the F-bomb on live radio. And thank God we have a nine-second dump button, you know. But it forces you to kind of, you know, watch your tongue a little bit. But it is exciting and it's scary because the big networks still don't know what to do with it. The radio bosses and the TV bosses are still looking at the internet and scratching their heads and going, like, how do we I remember when we first got, we got our first online computer, a B105 in 1995, and I just started doing Midnight to Dawn's. And I was, every night when I did the show, I would drag this gigantic blunderbuss of a machine into the studio and run a 30-foot-long phone cord oh out to the... Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, mate, we don't feel very good about you having an internet computer in the studio. You're not focusing on the show. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like... We are tweeting as we go, Instagram, This is 20 years ago. Periscope. This is 20 years ago. I'm, I'm like, still 
finishing off a thing while like my on-air light is on because I have to talk in eight seconds. I'm giving Angus a look like just like pat out for a second. Yeah, cool. All said, yeah, we are in one direction. Yeah. They, they didn't quite realise that, guys, you don't get it. This is going to be, yeah. this is it. The internet computer in the studio has to happen. You should be doing your research before the show. Like, <laughs> you don't understand. We yeah. can't pre-record a segment half an hour in advance because chances are in half an hour the news has changed. The artist has come out on Twitter and taken it back or changed their mind or update. You know, it's, whoo, I know when Harry Styles poos. Like, I know, like, I know way too much. By the time we go on air at 7 o'clock, some of this information, I'm glad my brain deletes it after 24 hours because I'm never going to need it. 24 hours, goodness. My, I'm, I'm, like a, I'm like a waiter who's just taken the check, you know. I've instantly forgotten what the table had. See ya. As soon as the show's over, I'm like, what did we talk about yesterday? Yeah. I, I, just, I just don't have the – I'm like a bookcase, all right. You put a new book on this side, one's going to fall off there. Yeah. That's how it works. When yeah. it comes to certainly when it comes to scripts and things like that, oh, yeah. like I'm, I'm shooting tonight and I've got four pages to learn. Um, and sometimes you have to go back and do pickups, and they say, "Can oh, you nah. can you remember it?" I'm like, "Hang on a sec. I, if I get started, I can remember it again." Are but you visual? Do you remember your scripts as to how they look on the page or how it sounds when you say? I use I can't remember the name of it. Some sort of Greek philosopher method. I uh, visually walk into my house in Los Angeles and I assign different parts of the script to different. Um, parts of the show, different parts of the my house. What? So, for example, I know the door comes first, then the light switch, then the alarm, then the mirror, the surfboard above me. There's a Helmut Newton picture in front of me. I turn a left. I've a, never heard that before. Yeah, there's a Beastie Boys poster. There's a Jacques Pastorius poster. There's a Miles Davis painting. There's my bookshelf. Turn around to the right. There's a Frank Zappa picture. There's a Steve Martin picture. There's my two bicycles. And so that's, that's me just walking into my house, all right? And so... For example, if I've got to uh, do, uh, say, for example, I'm, 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 I'm telling the ladies on The Bachelor at uh, The Bachelor, um, uh, morning ladies, welcome to, uh, you know, Maroubra. This is Ash London's house uh, where she lives with her. What do you mean in my house? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Get out of my house. <laughs> it'll be unreal. Locations are tough to find. All right. So I would imagine that first line, that's me opening my front door. What am I doing when I open my front door? I'm welcoming people to this house. The next thing I'm doing is I'm flicking a switch. How can I put some of the script onto flicking a switch? How can I visualize the switch flicking and, and attribute that to the script? And that way, if you get lost, you don't have to worry about the end of the script. You just m- mentally walk through the list of things and you just attribute and you imagine a different part of the script interacting with this picture or this photo or whatever it is in your house. That is so weird. Yeah. I love it. The other one I used to use is my old studio at B105 that I worked in forever. So it's tape one, tape two, the stack of CDs is how old it was. Yeah, three CD players, the security TV, the microphone, the panel, the VU meters, the clock on the wall, the phone system, the commercial machine and the the cart machine. And so you see you pointing, like pointing around. Because it goes around around from left to right. And so I just remember parts of the script. And I say, for example, if if I have to say something to the girls about uh, a bachelor's name is Sam, Say, for example, I have to say something about the word, like Sam um, is from Tasmania, right, for example. I'll imagine that on the second real machine there's a map of Tassie and mm-hmm. um, Sam's face on the reel-to-reel machine. So look up reel-to-reel on the Google Kids. Um, and so even if I've f- forgotten what the third line is, I know that when I go to my brain and I say, what's after tape one? Oh, it's tape two. What's on tape two? Oh, there's a picture of Sam. 
a picture of Tasmania. That's right. I'm saying Sam's from Tasmania. You know, that's what you know what I mean. You're like, yeah. That's a lot more complicated than I do it. You just anchor things. Yeah. You anchor things onto this this list of, and that's how I do it. I can just remember words on a page. Good for you. And how they look. And if it's a long, it's a long page. I use highlighters. That was yellow. It's weird. I can, I can, as long as I can see it written out with handwriting or typed out, I can just remember a whole page of script. It's very strange. But as soon as I've said it, as you said. Gone skis. G-O-R-N. Gone. So when you're when you're interacting with and you're doing a lot of interacting with the people of Australia, the young people of Australia, yeah. the vibrant actives, as we like to call them, mm. not the passives, the actives, because okay. they're they're getting back and forth with you. What's your sense of how they see the world? We were talking about things oh, we learn earlier in so the conversation. Be yeah. We're talking about, I'm just like in the context of things we learn from our parents, things we learn from our community, things we might not realise aren't exactly. I feel like most of the vibrant actives, uh, the sense of self is very strong, but I think of it in a way that what do I, what have I learnt that I want to pass on to them? What can I speak through my heart that's going to, you know, I think it is what we talked about, about the sense of you're not the centre of the universe. You know, I think there is a real sense of I know what I like, I know, you know, this and that, and I am, how do I say it? That's also part of being a kid, though. Yeah, but it's, I think it's just, it's magnified so much because they have this immediacy of of Twitter and Instagram. And and, anonymity. And anonymity, yeah. I can't get away with pronouncing an artist's name wrong. I'll get a tweet within 20 seconds about going to wear, and they won't just say, Hi, Ash. Um, you do a great job. Just want to let you know that you said this name wrong. It's you're an idiot. You don't even know music and you're a music host. What an idiot, you know? You just use the nicest words. <laughs> I know what they write to Yeah. You. Oh, absolutely. And that and yeah. is part of, yeah, my uh, journey towards humility. <laughs> but um, <laughs> And holding my tongue and just going, you know what? Yeah, because we think like that often, but you don't go out and tweet it, you know, but they do, you know, we do, I should say. I'm part of that. I'm, I mean, it takes a couple hundred thousand Shazams for a song to get into the countdown. So there are a lot of other people who are interacting with the show that you know, are very different. But it, as you know, it's the online audience and the people that, that tweet, you know, it's, it's a specific kind of person. And we love those people because we get real-time feedback and we get, um, you know, it's like a family. They're really so invested in the show and, it, and it's it's very cool. I guess I just. Yeah. Do you feel a sense of responsibility yeah. to to these people who you have the ear of? Absolutely. And I get a lot of shit from Angus Maker, who I love about, you know, the, the positive quotes and the, you know, the, the happy, clappy, hippie stuff that I'll sometimes talk about. But that's important for me. I want to be authentic. I want to be myself and, you know. There's nothing better than every night I'll get tweets probably every day from someone, who, you know, a teenager will be like, I'm having a hard day today. Like, can you give me one of your, you know, some words of wisdom or some encouragement? To me, that is like, ah, oh, that's why I do this, you know. So with that influence, like that's the payoff of Twitter is the ability to actually, you know, actually talk to people and actually in 140 characters or less, you know, give them a bit of life advice. And I think that's something that I really want to move into is, you know, I don't know everything. God, I don't know everything. But I feel like, you know, in my 28 years, I've, I learned a couple of things and certainly, you know, trying to be as authentic as I can. So that's, I think, part of the next phase of my career is 
finding ways to do that better and do it more. Once I think certainly for me, once I started this journey towards authenticity, this show is a massive part of it. Mm. Um, initially, the approach to authenticity is exponential, but you never really get to zero. No way. There's still there's parts of us. It's too it's too hard. It's too close. It's too vulnerable. It's too precious, and that's okay. Not everything needs to be shared. I think that's important, actually. You know, um, but it is it is hard, and if something is pressing a button, well, you know it's real and it's sacred and that's okay. As long as you acknowledge it in yourself, then I think that's good. I think in my experience, when something's pressing a button, when something is I'm, I'm reacting to it, it's uh, I try to see it as, ah, thank you. Yeah. Let's shine some light into this darkness. Yeah. This is obviously annoying me because, okay, this is an opportunity to explore why this is annoying me. Absolutely. And, and kind of get some light on it and, some sunlight disinfects everything and just figure that out and then the next time that passes you by it's a bit easier absolutely every time yeah Yeah. as long as you're honest with yourself Mm. you know i don't think there's in my opinion i don't think there's room much now in broadcasting to be inauthentic yeah if you're the news reader maybe yeah that's what people expect they can follow you on twitter and instagram they know what you had for breakfast and they know that, you know, you went here on the weekend and that you're reading this book and they feel like they know you. So if you're going to then, you know, get on air and fake it, people want more than that and they see through it, you know. They expect to hear your heart because we, you know, through social media, we do wear out our hearts on our sleeves. They expect a new level of authenticity. And that's something I want to transition or integrate more into our artist interviews how can we go deeper in this? I don't want to talk about psychology with them, but what can we hear from these people that, you know, our audience hasn't already heard already 20 times, you know, what, let's go deeper. Let's be a bit more real. Let's create a safe place for artists to feel like they can be real without being taken advantage of, without us tricking them or making them look stupid, but to just change the conversation up a little bit. And that's something that I'm very lucky in that, you know, the bosses I've got are all for that, that, you know, being real and trying things differently. So it's, I mean, I feel like I'm in a great place and a great place to start that. We're not going to get all the way there at once, but, you know, little shifts. You'll be doing the nighttime radio for a little while? Don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I don't try not to make plans, you know. Whenever I make plans, I stuff up. So I'll end up where I'm meant to end up. I usually get a pretty good sense when things are about to shift. I definitely feel like there's a shift coming in my life, whether that means, you know, whatever it means, I don't know. But for now I'm loving, I'm loving nights. I'm loving forcing myself to learn a new routine, to work harder, to maybe do things that is a bit uncomfortable for my body. It's good for me. I can't just get by on my big fat mouth all the time, you know. I need to adjust and I need to work hard. And I was, you know, working 10 hours a week last year and now I'm pushing 60. So <laughs> it's an adjustment, but it's, it's all good. Right. It's healthy. If you could pick up the phone and call 18-year-old Ash, what would you tell her? Oh, you don't know shit. You don't know shit. (laughs) You got nothing. Close your mouth and open your ears and just the quicker you can get over yourself and realise that you've got so much to learn, the better. Oh, man, I thought I knew everything. We've all been there, but I thought I had it all figured out and I was in complete control of my life. You're not in control. 
So get used to that notion early on and allow yourself to be flexible and open and to learn and to learn from other people and to fail or fear. <laughs> you got to go because you've got to go shoot some telly today. Yeah. Should this, be fun. Yeah, I'm doing this Eurovision thing. So it's um, oh, how great Eurovision. It's amazing, but it's a 3.30 a.m. alarm after yeah, getting it's... to bed at 12. But it's cool because I get to sit next to Richard Wilkins. Yeah, I had him on this show the other week. He's yeah, I amazing. saw that. He's such a cool dude. He is. Worked bloody hard. Yeah. 30 years. Shit. Yeah. You know, 30-year career is not to be sneezed at. Yeah. People say shit about him. People write stuff about him. I'm like, fuck you. You've been at a newspaper for 18 months. Yeah, have fun with that. This guy's been working since 1986 pretty much working. nonstop. Exactly right. And he's, yeah. I don't know if I could do it. I reckon I'm going to get to like 35 and be like, I'm going to be florist now. My florist is going to be called London Blooms. <laughs> I already sorted it out. You've already figured it out. I'm going to be a florist, probably in Byron Bay. I'm just going to chat to people because when you go to a florist, it's always to celebrate something or to commiserate something. And I love talking to people about what's going on. So it gives you the perfect in. What are the flowers for? Anniversary. Let's talk about your relationship for an hour. This is like the final scene of Spinal Tap where <laughs> Nigel Tufnell talks about being a haberdasher. <laughs> really is. London Blooms, it's perfect. I'm going to take your photo. Okay, great. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to put some lippy on. And that is Ash London. You can find her on Twitter at A-S-H underscore London. She's fabulous. Let her know that you heard her here. Um, if you heard anything in there that resonates with you, please, you know, tell, tell a friend or show a friend how to listen to the show on their phone. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. If you need anything through the week, please let me know. You can find me online. Send Osh every email at gmail.com. I pretty much write back to everybody. Thanks, as always, to Toe Hider for all of the music that you hear on this show. You can find Toe Hider on Twitter at T-O-E Hider, Toe Hider. Um, he's great. He great music. But thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Uh, without you, I can't make this show. Without this show, my week isn't as awesome. So thank you. Until we speak again, be kind to each other, sleep well, and dream of beautiful things. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.